This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It is January the 22nd, 2024. A wild week of, uh, or weekend, I should say, of NFL football. Some great finishes. Um, uh, we'll get to all that in a minute. Got lots of things to talk about this morning. Uh, of course, uh, you probably heard at the news at the top of the hour, Ron DeSantis has decided to drop out of the Republican primary, leaving just him, uh, leaving just Donald Trump and Nikki Haley left ahead of the New Hampshire primary, which is tomorrow. Uh, it's possible that Nikki Haley packs it in tomorrow if she gets uh, trounced by double digits, which is what she's trailing by right now. Um, look, uh, you know, <clears throat> the uh, Republicans have been worshiping at the altar of Donald Trump for a long time, and now they're putting all their eggs in that basket. I still don't think he's got the, uh, as much as, as uh, I'm not necessarily a fan of Joe Biden and a lot of people aren't as well. Uh, you know, if you are an independent voter or an intelligent Republican, you realize there has to be something better than Donald Trump, and uh, I'm not sure he can beat Joe Biden. I think we may be headed for another repeat of the last election where Trump, you know, gets all the Republican votes or gets, uh, you know, wins the Republican primary, and then there's enough um, enough people that are informed voters, I guess you would say, that don't feed into the Donald Trump hype. I mean, my God, we're talking about. Joe Biden with his uh, everybody's oh he's too old he's too old he's senile he's senile and yet Donald Trump continually makes mistakes in his speeches including this past week uh, he kept mistaking Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley he called he called Nancy Pelosi Nikki Haley a couple of times talking about the January sixth thing when you know he offered to supposedly send troops to to protect uh, the Capitol and he kept saying Nikki Haley instead of instead of uh, Nancy Pelosi. So, you know, let's, the whole age thing, they're both old. And they're neither one of them are a great choice. We're, we're left with the best of a bad lot, I guess, because there's nobody else out there. It's it's nuts. But I will say I am really glad Ron DeSantis dropped out. I'm fearful that he's going to try to run again in four years because that guy, um, he's more dangerous than Donald Trump in my mind. I, you know, I, I think he is. So anyway, he's out, and uh, we'll see what happens with the primary tomorrow night, and then uh, the, then we just coast our way um, uh, to the general election in November. And I still, I still believe, I still, I have to believe, 
I have to believe that this country is intelligent enough not to elect that whack job for a second time after the nightmare that we had. And and look, there's still stuff playing out in the courts, so who who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But anyway, all right, let's get to sports. Um, we'll start with the game that ended the weekend of uh, of uh, divisional round playoffs, and that was the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills last night. And I got to tell you, you know, there are times you're watching a game and something will happen at the end of the game and, and an announcer on television will say something, and you almost say to yourself, you know what? They scripted that. They already knew what they were going to say at the end of the game when, you know, a particular team wins. They already knew it. They already, they had, you know, uh, you know, they just knew what, what, what that catchphrase was going to be. Last night, Jim Nance could not have knocked it out of the park any better than he did. And there's no way he could have scripted this because there's no way in hell you knew the game was going to end like this. When that field goal by Tyler Bass went wide right that could have tied the game, potentially sending it to overtime with 147 left in the fourth quarter, and Jim Nance said, wide right. The two most dreaded names in Bill's history. Or dreaded words in Bill's history. I, you could not have said it better. Scott Norwood, everybody remembers wide right against the New York Giants. You know this now. This wasn't this wasn't a, a, a Super Bowl, but it was still a very monumental kick, and he knocked that one right out of the park. And it was the a. I don't want to say it was a fitting end. It was a a dramatic end to a very good game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' first road game in the playoffs, not counting the, the uh, neutral site games in a Super Bowl, goes on the road, 17 of 23, 215 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, did not get sacked. This and I think Tony Romo might have said it in the game last night. He said, you know what? This is as good as the Chiefs' offense has looked all year. And, you know, they put up 361 yards. It wasn't a, a, a huge amount. But what was impressive was how efficient they were. Right? They ran, uh, they ran the ball 24 times for 146 yards. Six yards a pop. You complete 17 passes for 215 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. They average almost eight yards a play in the game. You could not ask for any more. Um, you know, and uh, it, it always helps when you have Harrison Butker because he is not going to miss. Uh, and we saw Tyler Bass miss. Um, he also had a field goal blocked, if you remember, last week against Pittsburgh. I mean, they won the game. It didn't matter. But, you know, it, it sometimes it's those little things that make the difference, and that was a makeable field goal. They had the wind uh, in their favor, and he just missed it, just pushed it right. And Josh Allen did not get sacked either, did not throw an interception, 
was not um, as efficient throwing the ball as he had been the week before, but he ran the ball 12 times for 72 yards, scored two touchdowns. I mean, those two, the two quarterbacks were on display. Buffalo had more uh, first downs. Buffalo had more total yards. It was close, but even still, you know, and their defense did a great job. Kansas City was only one for five on third down. If you look at some of the numbers, you're going, how the hell did they lose this game? But it was efficiency, and that was the bottom line, was, you know, uh, Pacheco ran the ball like a, a madman, 97 yards rushing on just 15 carries. And Travis Kelsey, five catches, 75 yards, two scores. And the Kansas City Chiefs are heading to their sixth straight AFC championship game. Sixth straight. Now, they have to play a very, very good Baltimore team. That's going to be... Um, that's going to be a hell of a game. And the the way Lamar Jackson's playing, that might be a bridge too far, but we'll see. But, you know, look, the thing that you have to, if you're a Chiefs fan, the thing that you're hanging your hat on right now, Patrick Mahomes threw 14 interceptions this year, which was the most in his career. Well, uh, he hasn't thrown one in the playoffs. Matter of fact, he didn't throw one in his last game either. Three straight games, he has not thrown an interception. You know, and that's huge. Absolutely huge. And if you're the Buffalo Bills, oh, you know, I mean, uh, four straight division titles and no playoff success. You know, I mean, and it, it harkens back to the uh, the days, in, you know, in the 1990s when, you know, Jim Kelly and, and uh, uh, those guys lost uh, four straight Super Bowls. You know, but Buffalo can't get themselves to the promised land. And that was an absolutely killer, a 44-yard field goal. Look, I know that the conditions were not great, but that he had plenty of leg. So this wasn't about you know, uh, a, a kick coming up shorter. He just pushed it. End of end of story. So the Kansas City Chiefs now will take on the Ravens in the uh, the AFC Championship game next week. Uh, the other game yesterday, the Detroit Lions outlast the Buccaneers. They beat them thirty-one to twenty-three. Jared Goff, a guy who was a cast-off basically from the Rams, uh, 287 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, look, Baker Mayfield did everything that he could do, but he ends up throwing two interceptions. Um, he threw the last one. It was picked off uh, by Derek Barnes. Uh, you know, and, and the uh, the first pick he threw really wasn't his fault. It went off of Mike Evans's hands. And the, but the last one, he mean he threw it across his body, and you know that just never had a chance. But uh, first time that the Lions have won two playoff games in a season since 1957, which was the last year they won the NFL title. They've never been to a Super Bowl, obviously, since the, uh, the in the Super Bowl era. So they are looking for their first one, and uh, Jared Goff uh, is uh, a hero. 
in Detroit. He'll never have to buy a beer in Detroit for the rest of his life. Um, and look, uh, Detroit ran the ball well. Gibbs with nine carries for 74 yards. Montgomery, uh, you know, good ball control. I'm on St. Brown, eight catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown, and he had the biggest catch, uh, a, a big one late for a first down that allowed uh, Detroit to finish off the game and not give uh, the Buccaneers one more chance. So uh, the joy continues in Detroit. Now they're going to have to go on the road to win the uh, to win the NFC Championship and get to a Super Bowl. And uh, but they, I think, right now, I think if you watch that San Francisco game, I think there's a lot of people in Detroit right now that have some hope because the 49ers, look, they won the game, okay? I mean, at at the end of the day, all that matters is you win the game. They win the game 24-21, but Brock Purdy was not great. Now, it was a rainy day. There is no question. I mean, the conditions may have played into it, but he was 23 for 39 252 yards. Did not throw an interception. Only got sacked once, but his accuracy was lacking, to say the least. And it was Christian McCaffrey who bailed him out yet again. McCaffrey with two rushing touchdowns. Uh, The last one came with 107 left, and the 49ers win the game. And while if you're a Lions fan, you're looking at Purdy's numbers going, we can beat this guy. We can beat this. Let's <laughs> – okay, all right, you think so. But on that final drive, he was 6 for 7 for 47 yards. Huge play, a third down, uh, a 10-yard pass to Brendan Ayuk. Another 17-yarder to Chris Conley. He made the throws when he needed to make the throws. You know, and at the end of the day, that's what winners do. You know, so before we get too carried away with, you know, Brock Purdy's not that good, let's remember one thing. Brock Purdy is 17-4 and as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Now, it was the first fourth-quarter comeback and game-winning drive of the season and just the second one of his career. But, the other, but, but you know, here's the thing. They haven't had that many chances to do that. Now, the 49ers were 0-4 this year when trailing going into the fourth quarter. So the odds were not in their favor. And they were down 21-14 going into the fourth. But Brock Purdy found a way to get it done. But 17-4, and four. so before you get too giddy in Detroit, this kid's a winner. You know, and, and uh, is he Joe Montana? Is he Steve Young? No, but he's doing some crazy things. And I think if, if it wasn't a guy named Brock Purdy who was the last pick in the NFL draft, right? You know, the, the, the guy that's Mr. Irrelevant, the guy that never makes it in the NFL, if it if it weren't 
the fact that it was Brock Purdy, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? If it was, if, if that was Tom Brady, and he had the kind of game that Brock Purdy had yesterday or, or Saturday, people would be saying, ah, you know what? That that's what a real winner does, right? That's that's Tom Brady. That's what a legend does. And I'm not saying that Brock Purdy is Tom Brady. Let's, you know, let's don't misunderstand me. But at the end of the day, the kid showed he had some onions when he needed to. And he was doing it, by the way, without perhaps his biggest weapon outside of Christian McCaffrey, and that's Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel injured his shoulder on the opening drive and didn't play most of the game. Now, Again, his accuracy was off, so maybe if Debo Samuel's playing, maybe it doesn't make a difference, but we don't know that. And we also, it was, you know, it was raining it, the entire game, off and on. And at the end, when they had to make that big drive, it was pouring. So, you know, pump the brakes on, oh, Debo Samuel's not that good. 17-4 and four is a starting quarterback. That's all I'm saying. And one of those losses, by the way, was when he was injured. So uh, I think it's going to be a great game. There's a part of me that is rooting for the Detroit Lions just to have somebody different in the Super Bowl. But I am also rooting for Brock Purdy because I want to see him have a chance to play in the Super Bowl and be healthy. So, you know, uh, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. The biggest blowout of the weekend, and it really wasn't a blowout until the second half. This was a 10-10 game at halftime, and that's the game between the Ravens and the Houston Texans. And the Ravens end up winning it big, 34-10. to But it wasn't that kind of game until things got a little ugly in the second half. 10-10 at halftime, and... Uh, according to reports, and actually uh, Lamar Jackson said it himself, that he did most of the talking at halftime, and he said it was a lot of cursing. And he basically lit his teammates up saying, hey, let's not take this team for granted. We need to play better. Well, Lamar Jackson took it upon himself to play better in the second half. He only threw for 152 yards, but he had one of those – uh, one of his two touchdowns came in the second half. He ran for two scores in the second half. He passed for 152, and he ran for 100. He accounted for all four touchdowns by the Ravens, two passing and two running. His last one came uh, with uh, on an eight-yard run with 6.20 to play. He was so excited, he ran right out, right out of the stadium, right out through the tunnel. He did, that was what he did was remarkable. Um, he only ran for 100 yards on the ground once all season. Now, he ran for 821 yards. But he did it in a time when they needed him to come up big. And by the way, he is the first quarterback since 1948, neither the regular season or the playoffs, with 
at least two touchdown passes, two touchdown runs, 100 yards rushing, and 100, uh, 100 passer rating in the same game. And, you know, he was he's, everybody assumes he's going to be the MVP, and he showed why in that game yesterday. You know, and look, great season for the Houston Texans. They don't want to hear anything about, uh, you know, moral victories, yada, yada, yada. But they were kind of their own worst enemy. Penalties killed them all day. They got penalized 11 times in this game, 11 for 70 yards. But credit that Baltimore defense. They held them, Houston, to just 213 yards of offense. C.J. Stroud ran, or excuse me, passed for 175 yards. But he was 19 of 33. Just, uh, again, you know, it was one of those situations where you got a young player like C.J. Stroud and he gets to that point and you're like, he's too stupid to know he's not supposed to be nervous or that he's supposed to be nervous, right? He looked like a rookie in that game. And uh, that is a very, very dangerous Baltimore team. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen the early lines yet, but I have to think the Ravens are going to be favored, and I'll be surprised if the Ravens don't beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But it's hard to count out Patrick Mahomes, especially if he continues to play uh, the way he has here in the playoffs in the end of the regular season. Uh, by the way, home teams in the playoffs now 8-2 and two this year. So home field advantage does make a difference. And uh, they are going to have the home field advantage against the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, I think that uh, the the Chiefs uh, might be in trouble. So that's where we're at as far as the playoffs go. Uh, The coaching carousel, we still don't know what's going to happen in Atlanta. Bill Belichick had his second interview this weekend, but then a surprise. Uh, The Falcons have also scheduled a second interview with Jim Harbaugh, University of Michigan coach, who has been linked to the Chargers as well. Um, The Falcons have also interviewed Raheem Morris, who's the defensive coordinator from the Rams, and uh, Joe Brady, the uh, Bills offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. So where it looked like it seemed like Belichick was maybe a no a, a slam dunk for the Falcons. Now, all of a sudden, you're hearing about some other things. And one thing that has arisen, and I hadn't thought about this, um, it might be that Belichick is a little hesitant about the Falcons. Why? Because they named their, their CEO is Rich McKay, former Tampa Bay coach, uh, former member of the uh, NFL front office and a guy who was the head of the competition committee, a guy who has butted heads with Belichick on more than one occasion. And you have to wonder if Belichick is going to the Falcons and Rich McKay is going to in any way be somebody that Belichick has to report to if Bill might be a little reticent to do that especially at this point in his career, where he has nothing to prove, right? With uh, all the Super Bowl titles and all the success and wins that he's had, he has nothing to prove. So does he want to put himself in a situation where he's got to report to a guy that he's not necessarily fond of? So uh, it could be that that's part of the reason why the Falcons are talking uh, to other people. 
So uh, we'll uh, have to keep an eye on that. But I expect something to happen um, as far as that goes probably sometime this week. I would I would think that they're going to have to pull the trigger pretty quickly. And and Jim Harbaugh still hasn't said that he's officially leaving Michigan. Um, and, uh, you know, the other part of that is is if he's going to Michigan, there's a buyout clause, and the team that signs him from the NFL is going to have to give Michigan a couple of million bucks as, as a buyout for his contract. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that, but I, I think that'll probably happen this week, I would think. It is 29 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Red Sox baseball because spring training, the start of it is about three weeks away. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. So the Red Sox had their uh, winter weekend festivities where uh, members of the front office and the players and you know come out, meet the fans, answer questions. It's uh, you know supposed to be a joyous occasion. Last year, if you remember, the winter weekend uh, that was held in Springfield, Massachusetts, was <laughs> less than that. You know where uh, John Henry and uh, the front office got lustily booed, um, and it was so bad that they canceled that part of the get together this year, which I thought was rather gutless. But uh, that's uh, that's a whole nother uh, a whole nother thing. But you know when this year. They met with the media, the front office did, and you had guys like uh, uh, Tom Werner and Sam Kennedy talking to the media, and basically what we are finding out is that the Red Sox don't have any intention of spending over the luxury tax threshold this year. Um, they came into the season or into the off season. Uh, with a, about $35 million to get uh, to go over, to get to the caps to the the top of the uh, the luxury tax or the where the luxury tax kicks in guess what that's still where they are despite signing Lucas Giolito and uh, you know making some minor moves the Red Sox have really done damn little they traded Chris sale. And they brought it. So they basically traded Chris Sale for Lucas Giolito and Vaughn Grisham. And, look, everybody's high on this kid, Vaughn Grisham, who uh, they they are hoping is going to be their second baseman and is going to be a big part of the resurgence of this team. But the Red Sox basically are counting on the pieces that they had from last year on this pitching staff swapping out Chris Sale and Lucas Giolito to be a team that is going to be competitive where last year's team was not. And <laughs> I have a hard time with that. You know, look, I am I am thrilled that they made the change to bring in Andrew Bailey as their pitching coach. Andrew Bailey was asked yesterday if uh, they need to add another starter. And what did he say? No. Now, the reason that he said no is he's basically putting it on himself. He said, look, if our industry doesn't view our pitching staff individually at higher tiers by the end of this coming year, I didn't do my job. 
He said, I think that there's talent in our rotation and opportunity. So basically what he's saying is, is I'm going to take the crap you had last year and I'm going to make it better. And if I don't, then that's on me because these guys have enough talent that they should be better. Now, it doesn't mean the Red Sox won't add another pitcher, but it tells me that they're not the only two big names left are Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. And by the way, neither one of them excite me, especially Blake Snell, because A, he doesn't go deep into games, and B, he doesn't throw strikes. So neither, and neither one, so neither one of those guys excites me. But it tells me the Red Sox are not going to be players for either one of those guys. And you look around that division, and the Yankees are going to be significantly better. We know what the Orioles have. We know that what the Rays have. That division is a nightmare, and the Red Sox have done damn little to make this team better. I mean, this is a team whose starter's ERA was 22nd best in baseball last year. And matter of fact, and the number of innings pitched by their starters was 27th. They allowed 1.5 home runns per nine innings. It's, that's just not good enough. Now, I know that Giolito can eat some innings. But Giolito also gave up 41 home runs last year. <laughs> Second most in baseball. So, you know, I like Andrew Bailey's optimism. But what I don't like is the ownership's seemingly running up the white flag before we even begin. When you see everybody else around baseball adding all kinds of pieces, and the Red Sox are standing pat basically telling you that this is going to be a bridge year, that we are waiting. We are waiting for Marcelo Meyer and Nick York and the young catcher Teal. That's what they're waiting for. Then they're telling you, then, oh, we're going to be really good then. Except if you don't address the pitching, it doesn't matter how good some of these position players are. You still have to be able to pitch. And by the way, you know, Marcelo Myers is a shortstop. Well, you've got Trevor Story under contract for a few more years. Nick York is a 21-year-old second baseman. Guess what? You just traded for Vaughn Grissom because he's supposed to be your second baseman. Now, York is a better defensive second baseman than Grissom, at least according to all accounts. But somebody's going to have to move to a different position somewhere. And, look, do I have some optimism? Yeah. I mean, look, Jaron Duran, if he does what he did last year, and he's healthy now, and he's he's a full go, he's running, and if if Jaron Duran can give us a, you know, uh, a full season of what he did last year, there's reason for optimism. You know, if Rafaela or Abreu have a breakout year, there's reason for optimism. If Tyler O'Neill, the kid they, you know, they, they traded for, can uh, stay healthy, there's reason for optimism. If Trevor Story, and Trevor Story's excited about this season, you know, he's he expects that he is going to be better. He says, look, he said that 
you know, I pride myself on being a well-rounded player. And I haven't shown that first couple of years in Boston, you think? You know, he's only played 137 games since he signed that uh, six-year, $140 million contract before the 2022 season. 137 games. And he's hit 227 with an OPS under 700. You know, now he showed last year after the Tommy John surgery, and that arm is healthy, he showed elite shortstop ability. But what he hasn't shown is the ability to hit the ball the way he did early in his career. And there were a lot of people that questioned that, and especially taking him out of Coors Field and putting him into a a quote-unquote normal ballpark, there were people that questioned his ability offensively. And it is shown that perhaps they were right. But look, you know, the left side of the of the defense, third base and shortstop, has been a problem. And I know Rafi Devers is there, and I know we know Rafi Devers is going to give us some great numbers offensively. But there are times that Rafi Devers can't catch a cold at third base. I'm concerned about that. You know, now Story will help make him better simply because Story will have the ability to cover more ground and make throws from deep in the hole that maybe he couldn't have made before that surgery. So I have some optimism with some of the young, you know, some of the young hitters, uh, but I don't have a lot of optimism on this pitching staff, and I don't care what Andrew Bailey says. And now he knows way more about pitching than I do, but when, you know, unless they can make some huge adjustments to guys like Tanner Houck and Cutter Crawford. You know, you say what you want. Cutter Crawford throws the ball hard. He's got a good four-seam fastball. Great. Throw strikes. Tanner Houck, throw strikes. Garrett Whitlock, who was a disaster as a starter, I'm sorry, he belongs in the bullpen, period. I don't want to hear any more about it. Put him in the bullpen and leave him there. He was great as a bullpen arm. And I don't know what to think about Nick Pavetta. He throws the ball hard, and there are times he looks great. And there, last year, late in the season, he gave the Red Sox uh, some good starts and some good innings. But I'm not sure. I still don't know what to make of him. So I don't have a lot of faith in this pitching staff. And again, Andrew Bailey, maybe he is the answer. Maybe he's right. I hope he's right. And I hope he can help Brian Bayo uh, improve. You know, Bayo at times looked great last season, but at times was awful. Again, throwing strikes is a problem. And that's something that Andrew Bailey uh, stresses and it's something that he excelled in when he was with San Francisco. But the other thing to remember is that he was in San Francisco, which is about as pitcher-friendly a ballpark as you can have. So... I'm not saying that he can't replicate the success of teaching guys to throw strikes and attack the strike zone more. The difference is is that balls that would not go out in San Francisco are going to go out in Fenway. So it's going to be hard for him to, to replicate the same staff numbers that he had in San Francisco just because of the ballpark. You know, look, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not giving ownership a lot of benefit of the doubt. And I'm not one of these people calling for the Red Sox to sell the team. You know, like the, you know, the John Henry, sell the team. If you're not going to spend money, sell the team. Here's what I said, 
you know, look, I've, you know, we've seen championships, folks. Most people don't get to see those, right? You know, we, the Red Sox. It's been four years since the Red Sox won the World Series. If you're telling me, as my ownership group, you can get me a World Series championship once every four or five years, sign me up. Because there are fan bases around baseball that would sign up for that tomorrow. And their payroll is still going to be in the top ten in baseball. Probably higher than that. It's not that they don't spend any money. This isn't the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Tampa Bay Rays or the Oakland Athletics. They spend money. So I don't think they need to sell the team. But at least be a little bit more forthcoming. If they had come out prior to the spring training or the offseason starting and saying, hey, look, we're not going to go crazy spending money on free agents. We have a lot of young kids coming we're going to we're going to fill out the roster we're going to get some you know some guys that will be effective for us until these young kids are ready the following year in 2025 if they had come out and said that i think red sox fans would have taken it better instead of the full throttle comment and you know he's you know Werner's backtrack on the whole full throttle thing and said well look that's just the way i live my life you know and and it's you know that there's no excuses and so that's fine. But if you had just come out and told us before the season or before the offseason started what the, what the plan was, it would have been easier. But when you say stupid things like full throttle, what's everybody think? It means we're going out and we're going to spend money, we're going to be over the luxury tax, and we're going to be in on everybody. When the truth of the matter is we've been in on almost nobody, and the ones we were in on, we lowballed, and they went elsewhere. 45 minutes past here. We're going to take one more break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. One other quick baseball news. Uh, Over the weekend, Josh Hader signed with the Houston Astros a five-year, $95 million contract. Uh, Nearly 20 million, 19 million bucks a year for five years. Uh, Look, this is a guy that has... uh, uh, Made the all-star team the last five times starting in 2018, um, which was his first full year in the big leagues. Uh, Hard-throwing lefty, uh, 165 chances or saves and 190 chances in his career between the uh, Milwaukee Brewers and the Padres. So uh, a big signing there for the Houston Astros. Uh, News in women's college basketball and uh, Tara Vanderveer. Past Mike Krzyzewski as the winningest coach in college basketball history, man or woman, uh, with her 1,203rd career win. They beat Oregon State 65-56. to She has been at Stanford uh, forever. <laughs> um, she started, uh, I believe it was in uh, Idaho, uh, 43 years ago, and here she is now at uh, age 70. With 1,203 victories, I don't think she has any intention of stepping down, so those numbers are just going to continue to go up. And uh, so congratulations uh, to Vanderveer. Big loss yesterday. The University of Iowa women's basketball team uh, got beat in overtime by Ohio State yesterday, uh, 100-92. to But at the end of the game, what was scary is uh, 
the game was in Ohio, and Ohio State fans rushed the court after number 18 Ohio State upsets them. And uh, Caitlin Clark, the perhaps the best player in the country outside of Paige Beckers from UConn, uh, got knocked down by a fan. Uh, she said it was kind of scary. She was trying to get off the court and just got crushed. Uh, she uh, scored 45 points in the game, and uh, uh, she was getting uh, uh, heckled on her way out, but then somebody uh, absolutely ran her over. And, uh, you know, good job by the uh, Ohio State Athletic Director, Gene Smith, went over to the locker room and apologized, and as did the coaching staff. And uh, it, it's a heck of a way for that game to end. But uh, 18,000 people to watch a women's basketball game at Ohio State. How great is that? 192 with the upset victory, so uh, congratulations to the Ohio State Buckeyes. The UConn men, number one team in the country, will remain that way. Um, scary. <laughs> they had a couple of wild ones this week, but they end up beating Villanova uh, on Saturday, 66-55. to UConn now 17-2 and overall, 7-1 and uh, in the Big East, they are in first place in the Big East standings. UConn, despite winning a national championship last year, remember, they did not win the Big East uh, regular season title. Um, they, Matter of fact, they haven't won a conference regular season title since the 2005-2006 season, which is, think about it, that's incredible considering they have won three national championships in that time, but still they haven't won a, a conference championship since then. So, uh, And Danny Hurley, uh, God love him, the coach of UConn, he drives me nuts at times because I think he's a little too intense, but it is what it is. But he said uh, every time every time you step on the court in the Big East, it's a manhood test. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Boston Celtics continue to roll. Uh, they beat Houston this weekend. Um, by uh, It was an eight-point game. It was a lot closer. They had blown Houston out. Uh uh, in Boston, and uh, Ime Hudoka, who, of course, used to be the Celtics coach, is now the Houston coach. And he said, when, well, when they come back, you know, when they come to our place, we're going to really shut down Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum lit them up for 80 points combined. Well, this weekend, they did a good job of that. They held uh, Brown and uh, Tatum to just uh, 10 of 31 from the field. Um, but... Uh, the problem was they forgot about uh, Porzingis, Christopher Porzingis, with uh, 32 points in this game. Just crushed him. Uh, he was 11 of 20, hits uh, a season-high six threes, and the uh, Celtics win the game, and the Celtics the best team in the NBA right now at 33-10. and 10. Um, They have a four-game lead in the Atlantic Division. They have a three-game lead over the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. So uh, this Celtics team is uh, hot as a firecracker, and I don't see anything slowing them down. The Boston Bruins uh, continue to roll. They crushed. They played uh, the Montreal Canadiens on Saturday, beat them 9-4. to So the, Celt- or the uh, Bruins now with 65 points, uh, second best in the NHL. Only win- uh, Vancouver with 66 has more uh, than the Bruins. The Bruins with a seven point advantage over Florida in the uh, Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference and a five point uh, advantage over the New York Rangers in the Eastern Conference overall. Uh, one last note. Uh, how about a, this is really cool. Uh, Nick Dunlap 
made history yesterday. He is a sophomore at the University of Alabama. He's the reigning U.S. amateur champion. He won a PGA Tour event yesterday. He won uh, the American Express Open yesterday in a uh, uh, a playoff. And he ends up being the first amateur to win a PGA Tour event since 1991. The last person to do it, Phil Mickelson. Uh, by the way, first prize uh, for the uh, first place, $1.5 million. But because he's an amateur, uh, he does not get to win the prize money. So <laughs> that's that's rough. That's rough, but that's a that's a heck of an accomplishment for Nick Dunlap. Even though he doesn't get the million and a half, um, twenty years old wins on the PGA Tour, and if he decides to go pro next year because he won a tournament, he'll have his tour card for the twenty twenty five season. So we'll see whether he wants to do that or not. But he wins in the playoff. Very very cool moment for the kid uh, from the University of Alabama. Uh, been a great great year for the University of Alabama, right? College football championship. And uh, or, or gets to the college football championship game, I should say, and then uh, to uh, to have this kid win, uh, unbelievable. Twenty years old, good for him. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We're going to leave you this morning with some music from Wilson Fairchild. This I just got this album over the weekend. Uh, Will and Langdon Reed, who are the sons of uh, Don and Harold Reed from the Statler Brothers. Harold Reed passed away a few years ago. Uh, but the Statler Brothers, one of the greatest groups in the history of country music, and Will and Langdon uh, have a new album out. It's called Statler Made, and on it is some of the songs from the Statler Brothers. Uh, they do some covers of some other songs, they, like I Walk the Line and uh, a George Jones, uh, He Stopped Loving Her Today. Just really some cool stuff. Um, and uh, some of this stuff, when you listen to it, if you are a fan of the Statler Brothers at all, uh, it will remind you a lot of the music that uh, that their parents made. So we're going to leave you this morning with some music from that album. The album's called Statler Made, and this is I'll Go to My Grave Loving You. We'll see you. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.